Good evening and welcome to the Ryan and Ryan educational podcast. I'm Ryan Limley here along with uh, Ryan Weary and this is uh, episode one of season one. We have Dan Leffingwell coming on here in a little bit as our special guest for tonight. But Ryan, I just I wanted to start as I started kind of going through the idea of having a podcast and you know what I was trying to do. The, the biggest question I got was, well, why are you doing that? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think I've had that same question from other people too. And so it's interesting because for me, it comes from truly a place of I have dealt with um, in the past, we'll say since COVID, the past two years, but even before COVID, um, as a high school principal, I'm the principal at Warren High School. Uh, I should probably mention Ryan is a science teacher here at Warren High School. Uh, but I've dealt with some very complicated issues. And I remember thinking to myself, man, if people just had an understanding of what I was dealing with, they would be a little bit more, I don't want to use the term sympathetic, but mm -hmm. just understanding and be a little bit more patient. Mm -hmm. So I'll say that the purpose of the podcast is to bring awareness to educational issues. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, and I would say that we have a lot of titles, you know, right now um, between all, both of us. Uh, but the one that probably triggered me to help to help out was I, I teach leadership. And we feel that leadership is everybody's business. And once you figure out how to lead, you, you know what to expect. And I think other people come to understand what level you might be dealing with. So this might be, this might fall into that realm of, okay, well, if I can put myself, you know, apathy a little bit, put myself in their shoes, then we can deal with issues and get past them a lot faster. Well, and I think too, I would consider myself an, an educational leader. It's the position that I have, but it also understanding the more I understand the better of a follower I am mm -hmm. because I have a superintendent, right? Who is my, my technically my boss. Now mine doesn't operate that way. We work together, but I have a board of education and again, they're great, but technically they're my boss. So sometimes when they ask me to do things, you know, I'm able to get that done a little bit easier just because I understand and am able to be empathetic to their position, not apathetic. Yeah, yeah. Very different. Yeah, very different, very different, yeah. So as we, we get ready to kick this off, um, Ryan, why don't you just start by telling us a little bit about yourself, anybody listening out there that, that doesn't know you. Like, where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to high school? Sure. Uh, so I grew up in Belpre, Ohio. And uh, I graduated from Belpre, and from there I went to Ohio University, and I have uh, bachelor's and master's from Ohio University. Um, so my bachelor's and master's or my bachelor's in education sent me to Chillicothe High School. So that was your first teaching assignment. So that first was my year teaching. Yeah, my first year teaching. Now, so did I, you play any sports in high school? Like, what, yeah. what did you like to do when when you were a kid? Yeah. So my my focus was was all about sports. Uh, as I was a kid, um, I, I played basketball, played football, um, I played anything really that you can get. You know, wiffle ball with the kids in the backyard. You know, all that all that stuff. I was going to my friends' houses, down the street, wherever I could go. They just play. We played. Uh, so so my focus was a lot on sports. Um, and so when I got to college, I'll go back a little bit. So when I got to college, you know, the major is something in sports. So I started off in sports industry, which is the business side of sports. And I took my first business class and figured out it was quickly not for me. So <laughs> I, got, I ended up getting a C in that class, and I have no idea how I got a C in that class. So uh, I, had, I had to switch. I just felt like I had to do something uh, different because I didn't feel like I was going to be very successful. So in that. was it that interest in athletics that led you to education? Yeah. Yeah. It, it was, uh, I wanted to coach. Like I could coach. That sounds like a good, good gig. So uh, who coaches? Teachers. That's who coaches. And I would say to somebody, <laughs> if somebody came to me with that logic and said, hey, you know, Mr. Limley, I'm thinking about becoming a teacher because I want to coach. Mm -hmm. I would get real nervous. Uh -huh. <laughs> now, I know you and I, I know what kind of teacher you are. So to hear you say that, you know, I'm like, oh, OK, like I get it. <laughs> but I would argue that that to be a good coach, you have to be a good teacher. That mm -hmm. That's exactly what you're doing when it comes to your sport. Yeah. And I know you are a good teacher and, you know, currently coaching cross country here. 
um, yeah. and junior high track and yeah. stat guy for the basketball team. Yeah. So you're, you're a busy guy Lo- here. Lots of hats. But, so yeah. take us back to, to young Ryan okay. coming out of college, getting that first gig at Chillicothe. Yeah, that's um, eye-opening, eye-opening. So I, I, there's a couple, couple quick stories that kind of go along with that. One, I had stationery made for me from Chillicothe that had the header pup weary. So apparently I looked young, okay? Pup, P-U-P, weary. And then uh, my first day on the job, I had a tie on, you know. I, I knew I was a first-year teacher. I walked into the teacher's lounge and to eat lunch, and they go, uh, no students in here, please. And I'm like, come on, man, I'm, I have a tie on. You know, who, what kid wears ties? So right away, you know, you kind of trial by fire type thing. You know, you got the veterans who are getting on you and all that stuff, but. Okay, so then Chillicothe for, you say, one year? One year, yes. Then where? Then I went to um, Stanbury Freshman School, which is in Lancaster. It's Lancaster City Schools. Freshman School. Yeah, so Lancaster used to be pretty big. I mean, they're pretty big right now, but they had a differentiated high school and a freshman school. So all the freshmen that came from two junior highs went to Stanbury Freshman School. So think about all the testosterone you're falling in there. I mean, yeah, gee, yeah, sure. nah, not a great and then so And then from there, they went to the high school. So th- this was back in the times of the ninth grade OGT. You know, you had to focus on like earth science, you know, things of that nature. So that was my second job, uh, my second year. And then from Lancaster, were you one and done there as well? Yes, yes. And then from Lancaster to? Back to Belpre. Okay, so you came home. Came home, yes. So my wife and I are both from here. My, my wife went to Warren uh, and I went to Belpre and we, we met in high school. Uh, and so both of our families are back here. And we lived in Lancaster, uh, so then we had an opportunity to come back. We were able to get some land. We were starting to build a house. We had our first child, and then we lived with the in-laws until all that stuff was done uh, with our with okay. a move back. And uh, so my daughter's birthday is in August. It was actually the day before school started at Belpre. So daughter was born, moved back home, started school the next day. I don't recommend doing that. Yeah, so you're that. kind of glutton for punishment there. <laughs> don't recommend that. I mean, it seems like it worked out well for you. So how many years yeah. did you teach at Belpre? So Belpre, I was there for seven years. Um, through this time so far, I've coached basketball. Uh, I've, I've coached boys basketball leading up to Belpre. And then when I got to Belpre, I coached uh, girls varsity basketball which was a different bird all in itself. And and knowing you, I knew that that basketball was your favorite. Mm -hmm. So you're you're coaching away at Belpre, Mm -hmm. say seven years? Seven years, yeah. And then you uh, make the switch to Warren. Mm -hmm. How many years have you been at Warren now? This is is my 14th year. Okay. Yeah, it'll be my 15th coming up. Okay. And so then how many uh, sports have you coached here? I know you've coached cross-country and junior high track in the time that I've known you. Soccer. Yes. I've I've known you to do that. Helped out with girls' soccer, uh, and I coached uh, girls' varsity basketball here for four years prior to that. So here I've coached basketball, girls' basketball, soccer, girls' soccer, track, and cross-country. And So current teaching assignment, you're teaching uh, like biological sciences, so biology – anatomy physiology but then you also have a a section we teach a class here at warren called leadership excellence Mm -hmm. so tell us a little bit about that just real quick as we you know i'll talk a little bit about myself and then we'll try to get into um, the reason why everybody tuning in and and dan (laughs) leffingwell yeah tell us a little bit about that leadership excellence class so the the class uh, was established three years ago now, uh, we had a group of us that went to Columbus. There was a, a grant that was issued, and we partnered with the highest State and um, another company, I can't remember right now, and we were getting um, Ohio State credentials th- for our kids. Uh, it, it seemed like a really good thing. It was, it was a piece that we just thought was missing. Like leadership was just one of those things, man, man, if we just had better leaders or if we had kids that just understood what it meant to be at that level we could do some good things. And so that's, that's where a group of us did. We went up there and, and, and did that. Uh, this is our third year running the program. Uh, it's changed just a little bit, uh, but, uh, and COVID kind of hit it hard because, uh, you know, other stuff with Ohio State happened with that, and they had to drop the program, but then we picked it up with somebody else. So, um, but yeah, we've been, we have 20-so kids a year that come through our leadership program. Um, they learn how to do what's called a practicum. They learn some principles of leadership, uh, and hopefully we're sending them off on a better foot than what they came. I've uh, heard some good things from some graduates um, that have come through, just just 
nice to have those skills, I think, uh, more than anything else. So, okay. So that, that's a good, I think, segue into the kind of premise of the podcast. Mm-hmm. So first, you know, on my end, um, I am a Meg's high school graduate. Mm-hmm. Um, I also attended Ohio University, um, later received a master's degree from the University of Rio Grande. And University then, of Rio Grande, Rio Grande Community College. Yes, uh-huh. yes. Yeah. Um, the technical name. And then my, my educational leadership certificate um, from Salem International University. Um, I did teach and coach at, at Southern High School down in Meigs County for 16 years. 16 yeah, years. I was the uh, head baseball coach down there for 11 seasons. Um, and then came here uh, actually in 2013 to be the assistant principal. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting story for those people listening, um, how I met Ryan. <laughs> um, we uh, took a trip to Charlotte. Uh, I hadn't even been on the job maybe a week. High schools um, that work. High schools that work. Mm-hmm. And, and so we head down to Charlotte for a week of fun. Um, and, and that was where I really felt like, you know, I've made the right decision. We're down there with some common friends of ours. Now we're all really good friends. Mm-hmm. But at the time, you know, who's this guy? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, uh, so as the assistant principal here for five years, I'm currently in my fifth year as the principal. But uh, I did, during seven of those 10 years, coach baseball here. Uh, yeah. So that led me, um, you know, finally 18 years as a high school baseball coach was enough. Mm-hmm. So, and it was very <laughs> difficult to, to balance the two, the two jobs. So I decided that uh, being the principal was a little more important than being the baseball coach. Mm-hmm. And, and like I said in the intro, um, I'm hoping that this, the podcast, people will listen. Maybe a kid every once in a while. I don't know how much they listen to podcasts. Uh-huh. But but maybe some parents. Maybe we help some teachers or prospective teachers um, or some young administrators kind of start to get a grasp on just some of those complex issues that face um, educators in today's world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'd like to add on to one thing. Sure. Um, which was you mentioned you couldn't do both of those things. And uh, so I got to a point um, when we talked about, remember, beginning, I wanted to become a coach to be a teacher. Yes. Well, there was a point in time where that shifted for me. Uh, and it was, it was when I was done 11 years of coaching varsity basketball. And I shifted my focus from coaching to family and teaching. And that's really where I felt like I'm – I don't regret that decision at all. There are things that happened through that. What we might get into in later podcasts, but but that was something that you have a change. Like somewhere in your somewhere in your career, you're going to have a change, and it's going to take you in one of those in one of those two directions. Whether you're going to be a better in this case teacher or a better administrator, you're just going to have to ha- make that decision, and it's going to happen somewhere down the line. Well, and for me, it was difficult because you know coaching very similar story to yours kind of the reason why um i got into education now very quickly i was like oh i really like this part of it Mm -hmm. and maybe we'll talk about some of that in a a later podcast as well but i i got here um and the the baseball job came open i actually did not get it the first time it was open okay and and had a conversation later with the athletic director who's like listen i really need you to do this um, you know, we had some conversations and I enjoyed it, loved it, loved the kids, loved yeah. the environment, some of the things we were able to do here. The problem was that that I loved it. Yeah. And it, it started to take away from some of the things I was doing as an administrator. Well, as the assistant principal, it was pretty easy. Like when the kids aren't here, your job is, you know, <laughs> yeah. non-existent, really. Yeah. Being yeah. the guy in charge of uh, discipline and attendance. Right. And special ed stuff, a lot of stuff with that. Being the principal, on the other hand, you're in charge of a lot more than just discipline and attendance. And maybe people don't know that. Like maybe that's a podcast later is just what Mm -hmm. does an administrator do? Yeah, yeah. And so it became very difficult to manage. It was interrupted by COVID. Yeah. Which may have masked, you know, how just difficult that was to balance the two. Um, And then after the... 2021 season I was like okay I have to make a decision and I love and I mean love my job Mm -hmm. as an administrator love the people I work with 
and really wanted to make sure that I did the best job I could mm -hmm. for my staff, students, you know, families, uh, especially we're in a brand new facility here at Warren, mm -hmm. um, which was hotly contested over the years mm -hmm. of getting it built. And I just feel a, a responsibility to taxpayers, you know, people who kind of footed the bill for these buildings mm -hmm. to, to make sure I'm completely invested in all the kids. Um, I was recently reading a book, um, and maybe we'll talk about some books later in the podcast, but the, the gist of it was once you take charge of a specific detail-oriented something like coaching baseball, as a leader, you're not free to observe all areas, mm. that you're so hyper-focused on one area that other areas are going to start to lapse. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. And so being able to take that step back, let somebody else coach baseball was the best thing I've done, I think, for my professional career in administration. Yeah. Um, so it's been really exciting. I'm excited to kind of launch this uh, venture with you and see, yeah. see where it goes, getting it out on the various uh, podcast uh, <laughs> listening platforms. Yeah. And, you know, we've got Dan coming in here in a minute who we, we both know very well. Um, so... Without any further ado, we will get to today's guest, Dan Leffingwell. And we are very happy to be joined tonight by uh, Dan Leffingwell. Uh, Dan was the, the longtime principal here at uh, Warren High School and then was the superintendent at Noble Local for how long, Dan? How long were you the superintendent? Ten years. There? So you were the superintendent at Noble for ten years, and you are currently now doing what? My official title is uh, Director of Special Projects and Student Supports at the East Central Ohio Educational Service Center. So what in the world does that mean? <laughs> let's, let's just call it, what does that mean? Still trying to figure it out, brother. <laughs> okay. Uh, you, know, uh, you know, honestly, with that position not even existing a year ago, it's crazy how busy things are because, as you guys know, we're in a time of great shift and transformation. So being able to just try to serve as a support for districts in our region uh, specifically those 23 that we serve, uh, is really critical. So really just trying to be a help and support wherever we can to help schools make this transformation and shift. What kind of transformation and shift? And I know we've got a whole list of questions I want to talk about. but Well, I, I mean, I think we all have to embrace the fact that we're preparing kids for their future, not our past. And their future is going to be drastically different. You know, if you look at what's happening in the state of Ohio and uh, Intel coming in, and, you know, now we're, we're, we're really – uh, full-blown into the innovation age and not the industrial age and advanced manufacturing things look different yet you know our system and our structures in place are still those of the of industrial revolution one and 2.0 and uh, you know just making a cultural shift that better suits uh, the preparation of our kids today for their futures tomorrow and so in education, that can be tough. When, As we were kind of sitting here getting ready, um, you were talking about a presentation you're going to give tomorrow about things we don't have time for anymore. And so um, talk to us just a little bit about that. Like, what, what do you see that shift that's getting that should be already occurring in most places? I know it is here in my building and, and some people fight against it tooth and nail. Other people embrace it. But but talk to us a little bit about. Yeah, well, I'll be, you know, I'll be try to be remotely politically correct, but you know, it, you know, they asked Wayne Gretzky why they call you the great one. And he responded, because I skate to where the puck's going to be. You know, to me, education should be on the front of change, not the tail end. The proactive side of change, not, not reactive. And, you know, we, there's still so many things, as you guys know, that we, we battle every day that have nothing to do with the end result. Uh, we could go on and on, but it starts with the way we still grade and assess students and the feedback we give. We say we're all about a growth mindset. But our traditional grading practices say, absolutely, we're not. And, you know, employers need different types of feedback about the employees that they're going to potentially hire. And quite frankly, our system's antiquated. But we still struggle to get over that. And then there's a whole list of those trivial things that we talked about before, you know, uh, you know that oftentimes are contractual, but sometimes not. Um, you know, so I am developing a whole page of those things that we no longer have time for, you know, whether you get to have your planning period alone in your own classroom or not, or maybe you have to share your classroom with someone else, or, you know, what happens to kids that don't show up till second period, but they leave after seventh, and flexible scheduling, and all these things that have been customary, uh, that no longer fits. So, 
Look, well, we're going to come back to that. All right. <laughs> we're going to come back to, to those sort of things. But let's talk a little bit about you just in general right now. So where are you from? Like, where did you grow up at? Well, I think the statute of limitations has now expired. I've been okay. on, I've been on a, a blackout here for about 56 years. But, no, I grew up just outside of Huntington, West Virginia. So, basically, my whole life's been spent in Appalachia. And uh, I was fortunate. Uh, most people would say they're not shocked to, to know that I'm an only child. And, yes, I was spoiled uh, and continue to be, quite frankly. But, you know, I say all the time, I don't feel like I was spoiled by money. I was spoiled with opportunity and chances to do stuff and to do things and to take risk. And I think, you know, my parents embraced a mindset that anything's impossible and your zip code really doesn't define you. So that, I think that's really kind of carried me into the professional career where I just finished up my 35th year in education. Yeah. So you, when you were a kid, what did you guys do for fun in Huntington, West Virginia? Like, oh, man. Well, <laughs> that you can tell us about. Yeah, That's stay appropriate. a lot of things that we're not going to talk about. Um, but, you know, we, we played lots of sports. You know, getting outside and being active was, was big. You know, we worked a lot. You know, we so, were expected to work. So were you an athlete in high school? Did you play sports in high well, school? Well, I'll tell you, I will define it this way. You know, there's a difference between being athletic and being good at athletics. And you know what? I was pretty good at athletics, but I was not very athletic. Okay. Which is why I struggle to get in and out of the car today. <laughs> so what, what sports did you play oh, in, man, in high school? Oh, man, I played everything. I played uh, football. I played basketball. And basketball was probably obviously my go-to. And I played golf, and I dabbled in some, some stuff there. But then I came to Marietta College in 1984. So what brought you to Marietta College then? Uh, actually, an opportunity – well – First of all, I'd planned to go to University of Rio Grande on a basketball scholarship, and then my dad and I were leaving Cleveland, and we stopped to visit Marietta. I just loved the town. I loved the community. Um, it had really – it just really felt like home when I got here. You know, I tell kids years later, you'll know when you find the right fit. And Marietta definitely just felt like the right the right fit. So, uh, you know, so did you play here. basketball at Marietta? I did. I played basketball. Okay. I was gonna, my plans were to play football as well, and I had hernia surgery – uh, late that summer, uh, early fall, which kept me from being able to play football. So, so basketball it was. And four years later, I graduated there, met my wife there, and, and uh, we've been living here with the exception of my first year out of college. We've been living here in the mid-Ohio Valley uh, basically since 1989. So did you come straight to work at Warren after you finished at Marietta, or did you oh, have a stop no, in I between? I floated around. I, my okay. first job was uh, just outside of Cincinnati. I worked for Bill Garrett at Fayetteville High School and – Came back, taught at Caldwell, and then came to Marietta City Schools um, and then worked full-time at Marietta College as the assistant basketball coach, head golf coach, uh, before coming to Warren in 1994. So you came to Warren in 94, coached basketball for a little while? Coached basketball. I coached some cross country. I coached golf. I, I did a little bit of everything. <laughs> and we talked about that in the cross country, man. I want to talk. I want to, your philosophy on that. Then you know, back well, in the day of nineteen. 19- if one of your questions <laughs> later is a funny story, take me back to cross country <laughs> okay. and coaching one of my basketball athletes in cross country, who, by the way, won the eight hundred meters that day. Unfortunately, it was a three point two mile race, <laughs> and he had just drank a Dr Pepper and ate a bologna sandwich oh. before he went to the start line. Oh gosh. Well, I know Dan. Dan was one of the ones that hired me here in high school, and I know. Lots and lots of stories that we've, that we've had. Um, but one of, you know, we talked about leadership in this place. And one of the stories I'll never forget was your basketball story about your best player and, and, and what you had to go through and, and what ended up with that. You know, that, can, can you walk, walk us through that, just like a brief thing about yeah, that? Because that's know, really a cool story. You know, you got to remember we brought up old school and, you know, discipline and that. Quite frankly, and I'm not ashamed to admit it, I was a Bobby Knight disciple and fortunate to know Coach Knight fairly well from working with him in the summers. And uh, So I'd had a young man that had started for me as a sophomore and quite talented. Quite frankly, he was our best athlete. And, uh, you know, he showed up a, a year later and, you know, we had some expectations and he didn't quite want to do that. And it could have been from the type of type of socks he wore to whether he wanted the tucky shirt in or not or whether he had an earring or no earring and you know bottom line was it was time to make a decision and I felt like how I can't trust him to do the little things how can I trust him with the ball in his hands and so I, I remember cutting him uh, that year and and the best part of this story is 
He's one of my favorites and remains one of my favorites today, as well as my entire family. Uh, and I, I give all the credit to that young man. He, uh, you know, he went a couple weeks. He was, he was angry, and, uh, but then ended up being my uh, teacher's assistant for two periods a day and came back his senior year and bounced back. Uh, just had a tremendous senior year and is a tremendous young man and a tremendous father. So uh, I think, you know, his parents were also very key to the success of that. And I remember his parents asking me, is he not one of your top 15 players? And I said, no, he's our best player. But right now he doesn't necessarily make us the best team. And, and I have to give his parents all the credit in the world. Uh, they didn't like it, uh, but they respected it. They were always cordial. Uh, we maintain good relationships, just as I did with the student athlete. And he bounces back and shows the grit and resilience. He's a wonderful young man. Proud of him. Let me ask you a question based on that. Th that story you just told, amazing. Does that happen in 2022? Oh, I think there's pockets. Uh, you know, I, I will tell you uh, my recent experience at uh, Noble Local and Shenandoah High School. You know, our basketball coach, Coach Mark Smith, uh, comes from the same cut of cloth, and uh, he's recently made decisions like that. And, and I will tell you, the difference when you make a decision is all about how parents and the athlete respond. And, you know, in today's culture, we want to blame the person in charge, you know, the coach or whatever. And, um, yeah, there's still some out there cut out of the same cloth, but it's, it's hard to find. And, and you know, the, the unfortunate part, high school sports, we all want to win, but it's not all about winning. And, you know, I think our, our, our school, our public school audiences have much became like the Power Five audience. You know, if you don't win every game, then you should fire the coach. Uh, we're not necessarily dealt the same set of cards. It's unfortunate, but uh, there's still some folks out there that do it right. So you're, you're coaching basketball at Warren. What are you teaching at that point? Like, what's your teaching assignment? Well, I was uh, – the occupational work adjustment coordinator. So I worked with at-risk students who went to school half a day, and then we uh, found them a work assignment the second part of the day. And so uh, we made a lot of home visits. I, I tell folks all the time I was more of a social worker than I was an academic uh, professional. Uh, but, you know, I'm still very close to some of those kids today. So it was uh, great to see them grow up to be young men and women and take care of their responsibilities, and hopefully we help them improve their life choices. So similar, I would say, to like career-based intervention sure. today. absolutely. A very similar program. Yeah. Um, so how long did you teach that? Like, what? Oh, boy. Hey, I'm old, man. I okay, think it, okay. I think it was five years. And, and then what? Well, then I, you know, I joke. I said they wanted to get me away from kids, so, they, so I stepped back from coaching and went into administration at that time and was an assistant principal uh, under Bob Cotter, who was uh, – fantastic leader and I really give he and our superintendent at the time uh, Bob Greaser the, the you know really the credit for beginning to to turn uh, the district around and so I worked under those two gentlemen for a couple of years and it's my understanding that if you go through a little bit of history of Warren High School and I know a little bit of this just from the student aspect in the late 90s I mean early 90s Warren wasn't a great like the way it is this doesn't feel it didn't have a good feel like it did now there was just little discipline it seemed like the kids kind of ran the joint and so when you came on as assistant principal you had some work to do oh boy <laughs> you know I I joke and people think I'm joking but it's really not a joke I guess my last two administrative jobs I got there were no other applicants you know, when I, when I interviewed for the principalship here, no one wanted to be principal here. And then, you know, we moved to Noble Local, and, you know, there wasn't necessarily a long line of candidates there. But absolutely, in my first year as assistant principal, uh, we had 350 out-of-school suspensions. And we had about 12 kids that did not graduate solely because of excessive absences. Mm -hmm. And I remember those students looking at me and saying, there's no way you're going to do that. You know, my mom and dad are going to go to the board meeting and they're going to raise all kinds of cane and you're going to have to overturn this. I said, well, we'll just see about that. And so uh, one promise I made to those kids, you're not going to graduate. However, you're going to have the opportunity to make up your credit and graduate. And when you do, I'll hand deliver your diploma to the house. And all 12 occasions, I got to go visit them at home and things turned out, turned out very well. But yeah, so my next 18 years here, I didn't have 350 suspensions over the next 17 or 18 years. Uh, but that year, it was 350. 
So now, how many years were you the assistant principal? Two years. And then became the principal after that. Now, did yeah. you coach any of those years, or were you done? Or no, my first two years of assistant principal, I continued to coach. That was tough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Ryan has a story similar to to that kind of coming up. But it, I fi- I find it very interesting that um, your 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 experience with that basketball coach with that basketball player was very similar, just on the, in a bigger scale when you first became the assistant principal, and in both situations. Um, you know, it turned around, it turned like programs around, it turned schools around because, you know, what we haven't talked about yet is after that time we had something, uh, some kind of excellence thing, right. That came through the school and, the, and that's how schools were rated. Mm-hmm. And after that time, that's when Warren, uh, as people like to say, started their heyday, really started to go up. Yeah. We went, uh, in 19, uh, I, I don't, the, the years are kind of slipping, but you know, Around that time, we were on academic emergency, which was one of the ratings, and we went from that to excellence with distinction. And, and I, I give all the credit to just a fantastic staff. And, and honestly, I was one of the youngest folks in the building. Um, and, you know, my leadership style really had to change from the way it was as coach to becoming the assistant principal or principal of a building because then I had to be more of a, of a gatherer, uh, I had to empower others, and I had to really be inclusive in decision-making. Uh, but at the same time, one of my biggest jobs, I felt, was to run interference to, so our staff, who, who were incredible, could do what they were paid to do, and that's teach. So uh, let me ask you this, and we, maybe we missed something in here. What's your work experience like outside of education? I've mowed a lot of grass. Okay. okay. <laughs> I've mowed a lot of grass. You know, my mom was an entrepreneur, so, you know, growing up, um, you know, I did the typical. I always had two or three jobs growing up. And one of the things I liked about working growing up was, in my family, if you worked, that gave you independence. No one was asking where you're going or where you're going to be. If you had your own money, you just needed to be accountable to what time mom and dad said be home. Okay. But other than that, everything else between. So I learned early on that, you know, independence was being self-sufficient and uh, my mom and dad both taught me to be that way so even through college I worked two or three jobs but typically I would work a lot of basketball camps in the summer Uh, I always have mowed Uh, always had you know growing up 10 to 20 yards to mow I worked fast food I worked as a bartender Uh, which by the way um, this is not inappropriate, but I tell people every day the skills that helped me in school administration, I learned far more of those through bartending experience than I ever did through higher ed. Well, and similarly, um, I, uh, I worked for Kroger for yeah. six years coming, coming up, and, and I would say that a lot of working in their customer service yeah. helped me probably more as an administrator. I don't want to say than anything I did, but a lot, you know, you're dealing with angry people or, you know, you got to find a way to not pacify them, but sort of smooth that over where, you know, Kroger wasn't getting robbed, but they didn't leave mad. And so it, it was, line. it was, it was, uh, it was interesting. And so I have great respect for people who, you know, do that. Like I talk to our kids here that are working while they're going to school or working while they're going to school and playing sports. And, you know, um, it's just, so much fun to hear those stories about what people have done outside of education sometimes. No, so it was, it was great. You know, in college, we continued that working two or three jobs. My wife did as well. And, um, you know, but that, that's just the only thing that you knew. Right. So other than Marietta College, what, what universities have you attended? Uh, Ohio University. I've also taken some courses through Ashland University. My master's degree is through Ohio U and my superintendent's license through Ashland and, you know, all both those institutions, all three of those institutions, I just feel really fortunate to have attended. Yeah, and Ryan and I are both graduates of Ohio University, so I'm actually my master's is from the University of Rye Grand. So when you mentioned that yeah. earlier about potentially going there, um, very familiar with that that campus. Um, and so, talk to us a little bit about from being the principal at Warren, um, you took the job as the superintendent at Noble Local. Um, and did some really good things up there. Um, and so just talk to the listeners about some of the things that went on while you were at Noble. Well, I have to tell you that what we, you know, the journey that we started in 2013 at Noble was very similar to the one and kind of followed the same blueprint that we did here starting around 2000, 2001 here at Warren. And it was about being student and customer focused. 
Uh, and, you know, we looked at our customers as twofold. You know, students were our primary customers, but business and industry partners were certainly not less than one, probably 1A and 1B important. And so, you know, really for years, our, our goal as school systems were prepare kids for their future. Well, that's changing. So uh, we really started doing a lot of work in aligning our curriculum to the in-demand jobs that existed in our community and our region. And with that, we saw increased hope scores. You know, one of the, yeah, we all have the state report card, and we all can talk about whether we think that's valid or invalid or good or bad. But, you know, the things that we've used since our days here at Warren, and we continue to use in Noble, is called the Student Experience Survey. And it measures hope, sense of belonging, engagement, and 21st century skill acquisition. Well, our baseline scores at Noble Local in 2013 were about 32% of our kids were engaged and felt hopeful. Uh, and then we made trips, multiple trips to, you know, Gulfport, Mississippi, Hattiesburg, Mississippi, uh, Kingsport, Tennessee. Uh, I've been to Virginia three or four times. I've been to High Tech High in San Diego. Just looking at some of the best places where we see high performance, but we also see high poverty and high minority. Because we know that what's being successful there can work here in Appalachia. And so really we've picked a lot of brains over the years, but really that alignment with our students and our business and industry partners being our primary um, customers and our obligation to serve them to the best of our ability has been kind of the overarching theme. Well, and I was fortunate enough to go on one of those trips to, to Gulfport uh, to see that high school down there. And it was just incredible. Like some of the things that, that I brought back and, and things that, that our staff that went and brought back and, and been able to try to continue to uh, implement here um, you know, it was pretty cool. And, and some of the things that, that you guys did uh, at Noble, I, I, you could kind of see that stamp that you had been both places on it. Um, and then that got you, and, and I want to make sure I say this correctly, 2021 Superintendent of the Year? 2022. 2022. We're still so, in it, brother. Okay, we're still, we're still in it. It's a year of Dan, man. It's a year of Dan. Okay. Well, and, you know, I, I want to – you know, sometimes we're, we're, you know, as administrators, we, you know, we want to deflect, you know, our successes. But I, I want to tell you that the job that the folks did at Noble Local uh, is amazing. You know, we're the only district in, in eastern and southeastern. We've grown 30%. Our enrollment's increased 30% over 10 years. People gravitate when you're doing the right work. You know, right? When you're, when you're engaged in the right work, people will find you. And you think about that that district's 289 square miles without a stoplight. 75% of their roads are dirt and gravel. But they increased their enrollment by 30%, most of which was through open enrollment. The open enrollment trend went from minus 67 to plus 304. Well, that in itself, think about the effort people are making to get their kid there. So when we're, a fo when we're focused on all roads lead to a J-O-B, that resonates with everybody, regardless of where they are on the spectrum and socioeconomic. Everybody understands that's our job. And when you align with the right work, people find you. Well, let's, let's talk about that for a second, sort of off script. But there used to be, or maybe there's this lingering mentality in education at our level, you know, K-12, we're preparing kids for college. What would you say to that if somebody's like, well, it's, it's my job. I'm teaching high school, whatever yeah. subject, basket weaving, yeah. and, and I'm preparing kids for college. Well, man, you're, you're hitting me. I'm, I may take a few seconds here. Uh, you know, my, my response to them, yes, you are. And you're also preparing them for a career of their choice. And so when we use the word at risk, most of the folks, you know, sitting here and the people listening all think about low income, uh, you know, whatever risk factors. We, but you know what? Who's more at risk right now than the kid who says in high school, I'm college bound? Because what we know throughout our region is that about 50% of our kids say they're going to college, but only about half of those actually com complete. So what about that fourth that didn't? What did we prepare them for? And so we just can't bank on that we're preparing you for college or career. It can't be or, it must be and. So I would say, yes, you are, and we need to get them ready for the career of their future. And uh, I think that's just really important. It's not either or. It has to be and. 
Well, and, and there's been a push, I'll say recently, I don't know, it just seems like it's come more prevalent recently to, to kind of push kids into trades. Not push, but that, hey, this is a successful option as well. And I think that's been hard sometimes for educators to wrap their brain around that, oh, wait, you mean they don't have to go to college to be successful? They can. It just kind of depends on what your interests are. And so talk a little bit about that kind of, and this will, we'll bridge this into Intel a little bit. We were talking as we were kind of sitting here getting ready about the grants that some local universities got to, to prep people or kids now basically to, to fill that workforce later. And, and I was fortunate enough that the Lieutenant governor was speaking at the ACTE conference this year and was talking about that very thing that one of the reasons why Intel picked Ohio was the workforce. So just talk a little bit about that, just that shift. Yeah, it's a, well, you know, it is a shift. And, and, you know, I'll coin, I know you mentioned earlier before we started, you're going to be interviewing Jim Mahoney. But, you know, Jim, Jim really lays it out as he does so many things pretty simply. But, you know, before our career tech centers, you know, the adage used to be educate the best, forget the rest. And then, you know, with the, with the inclusion of career tech centers, then it became educate the best, transport the rest. And now we're living in a day and age where we have to uh, educate the rest as if they are the best. And we have to prepare them for multiple pathways. You know, the biggest difference in our future is going to be the fact that they anticipate that workers of the future might have six different careers, not just jobs. So you have to have transferable skills whether you go to college or not. And again, it's and. And so uh, the other thing I think is important is 90% of future jobs are, be, are believed to be STEM-related. And, and of that number of jobs, those jobs will on average pay 68% more than non-STEM careers. So if you think that the only place your kids get preparation f- for STEM careers is at the career center, well, career centers are only so large. They can only take so many. So I'm going to just guess it's somewhere between 10 and 20% of most schools can actually go. And how many of those can't even get their program of choice? But how long can we continue to be satisfied with preparing 10 to 20% of our kids for 90% of the future jobs? And again, uh, sometimes people mistake that. I am not anti-career tech center. I'm actually pro. Uh, The fact is, and you guys have done a nice job here, we need to expand career tech opportunities. Uh, And we need not limit it to those that are college-bound or not. We have to be inclusive and allow people the option to choose either pathway. And and one of the things that we've really taken on is I mentioned CBI there a little bit ago, and and I basically have a full-time career, and I'll call her advisor. I don't know if that's the right word, but, you know, who – puts on a trades day here at Warren and, and tries to get kids out into job shattering, shadowing, excuse me, and like internships and things like that, just so they can check things off the list maybe that they don't like to do. Ryan was talking about that he was going into a like sports business and he took a business class in college and was like, Oh, this is terrible. You know? And so sometimes we're trying to eliminate things while it's still free. Right? Yeah. You know, but at the same time, maybe we ignite a little bit of passion or at least, you know, pique some interest um, to where they can do more than one thing later, yep. kind of like what you mentioned. Yep. So we've really focused here on expanding a bunch of those opportunities. Yeah. And I, and I think we're, we're engaged. We were engaged in the same work at Noble, and I think it makes all the difference in the world. And, of course, people make a difference. And you've got a great person in that position that's passionate about, as I say, improving life choices for kids. And I think that's just really critical. And that's also where kids develop hope. They, they, they start attaching themselves to things that they know that they're passionate about. I also know that you, know, you guys, as well as Noble, we were two of the three schools that were involved in the statewide strengths pilot where we identify kids' strengths and really try to focus on what's strong versus what's wrong. And that's hard for people to do. Uh, but all those things kind of work together to help kids figure things out, right? And, and you know, some people say they're going to college some people say they're going to go work at X, and they base that assumption based on what mom and dad do or say they should or shouldn't do. So uncle, dad, grandpa, I don't want you working at the plant. 
it's yucky, it smells, it's dirty, it's hot. Well, manufacturing facilities in, in 2020 and beyond don't look like where Grandpa worked. And college, uh, though it might have been for mom and dad, might not be for son or daughter. Or maybe it's college and I'm going to look at, at advanced manufacturing. So we just have to, to really realize there's more pathways today for kids than there ever has been. And that's why the position that you have here, I had at Noble, uh, at RESC we have positions called career navigators. That's why it's so important. The guidance counselor's job in schools is so much more complex than it was when any of the three of us. There's so many pathways, alternative means to graduation, all these things. going. It's hard to juggle. And, and like you guys, when I went to Gulfport, what we saw there was a building about the size of Warren. I made 1,000, 1,200 kids, but they had six counselors. Well, I can tell you, you can go around Appalachian. If you find a building of 1,000 kids, you won't find more than two counselors. And we know their responsibilities are so so burdened with testing and other obligations that the real advising component gets missed. Yet that's one of the key places where we build hope and opportunity. So I, I appreciate you guys making that investment and look forward to other people doing that because it, it, it's a real difference maker. Well, and you mentioned this kind of in passing right there about Ohio's graduation requirements right now. Uh, good luck if you're not in the business understanding those. Wow. <laughs> you try to explain that to a parent. Uh, it's very difficult. ODE, and I know I mentioned this already at the ACTE conference, was talking about that they're developing like a parent video to explain it all. But so many options out there, which is great for kids, but can be tough for guidance counselors. And, and we were talking as we were getting kind of everybody acclimated to what the podcast is about. But when I went to school, you either took math or you took algebra. You know, you took math too, or you took algebra too, and that's not the case not anymore. The anymore. <laughs> um, there are a ton of options for kids out there, which again is great, but um, can also be complex on our end. Well, well, I think I think that's kind of replicates the choices our kids are going to have in their future. You know, it's about adaptability, flexibility. Uh, you know, there were many silver linings of the COVID era in education. And yet, since it's kind of over and we're transitioning out, we're trying to put a lot of those things back in the box, right? We've, we discovered so many good things, right, and so many ways to diversify our delivery methods. Yet, now that we're kind of coming out of that, so many people in our profession are trying to put some things back in the box, right, because it's just too many things to juggle. But it's those things that made us unique. And, you know, again, to quote Jim Mahoney, our dar darkest hour for many of us became our, 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 our brightest hour. And that was the case in Noble Local. One of our greatest years by every marker that we track, including sports performance, was the best year ever was the first year back from COVID. And guess what? We, we offered face-to-face. We offered remote, so you might have uh, classroom teachers in fourth grade that had 18 kids sitting in front of them, five kids on the screen. Our kids learned in, in second and third grade how to use breakout rooms and organize group work. I mean, our skill level around technology grew exponentially, which we know is going to be critical for the future, but now we're fighting some of our own organizations who want to put that back in the box. And uh, we know when you go to college, you know, that's the other thing. You know, our staff will say, we're preparing them for college. Well, then let's, let's, let's do some hybrid learning. Oh, I don't want to do that. Well, no, wait a minute. Do we only want to prepare them for the things we're comfortable with? So, I mean, we just have to – the other thing I would say along the lines there is the biggest killer of hope, and one of the things we know through hope research is adults can provide hope if they have hope to give. Well, how about the adults, and we've all heard it, Boy, I'm glad I don't have to grow up in your world. Boy, that's going to suck. <laughs> well, you know, the fact is those kids are ready. Just because we're uncomfortable doesn't mean that they should be. We've got to get over that. Well, and you said something to me once as we were getting ready for it. We hosted that leadership summit here. I think you were at the girls' state mm -hmm. tournament. Um, and you said something to me as we were getting ready for that, that we ought to host a session where instead of adults running around going kids these days, kids get to say adults these days right? and just tell their favorite stories. Oh, it would be great, like adults these days. Because I can tell you what, kids these days, they're pretty amazing. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah, well, and um, Frank Martin, when he was coaching basketball at South Carolina, made a great line, and he said, kids are kids, right? They don't know anything about anything. Kids haven't changed. Yep. It's the adults that oh, have absolutely. changed. And when you were talking about trying to put things back in the box, I have a, a teacher that, that works here, and I, I won't mention his name, but probably technology, I would say, was not his strong suit pre-COVID. And so he had to sort of embrace, got his first cell phone during COVID. Never had a cell phone. And instead of trying to put it back in the box, he has embraced it and, and become even better. And I, I hope, I think he, he might be a guest later on here as he's Great. getting ready to retire. But it, it's just been incredible to watch him embrace that and, and now complain when a smart board doesn't work right. <laughs> so, no, it's, it's, just, it's just amazing. And, you know, we saw so many stories of great student leadership. And, uh, I mean, there was so much growth, but we, but we chose to focus on the negatives. And, and again, I think that goes back to the strengths. If we could just make a shift where we focus on what's strong versus what's wrong, what a lesson that could be for our whole country. Mm-hmm. So, so bringing up leadership, back to that, um, it's interesting the people that we have been influenced by. Uh, sounds, like, sounds like your parents were up there and, and talking about uh, who influenced you growing up or at least getting into that leadership role. Who else through that transitional period of, of becoming a teacher to an administrator to a superintendent? Like, what leadership uh, man, qualities? So or who, who did you look at? There are so many, so many. I mean, I, I'm good and bad, I guess. I'm a product of a, of a lot of influences. But, you know, those that come to mind in coaching was Doug Foote, the former coach, uh, you know, Bob Knight, uh, uh, those people who just really uh, – had a high level of character and discipline and motivation. Work ethic uh, is one of those things that come to mind when you think of those guys. My mom and dad, you know, my, my dad, and you guys both know my dad, he just passed, but he loved everybody, right? He didn't, he didn't see color of skin. He didn't see how much money was in your wallet or you didn't have. He just loved people. He loved everybody. And, uh, and he let them know that uh, in his own unique ways. He let, he let you know that. Uh, and then my mom, who's 79 and just picked up real estate a couple years ago, but she's now number one in northern Georgia. You know, if you ask her what her keys to success are, she says, uh, mindset matters. What you focus on expands and never take your foot off the accelerator. So I think it's hard to, hard to take those things away. Bob Cotter, uh, who worked here for a long time, I remember him telling Fred Ruth when we're trying to start our movement from academic emergency, and we're talking about uh, – you know, developing improvement plans to improve uh, our performance on uh, state testing. And Fred was shaking his head, and Bob says, Fred, where does the sun rise in the morning? And Fred says, the east. And he says, and what if you didn't like that? He goes, there's not a damn thing you can do to change it. <laughs> so, you know, there's you know, a lot of people that were direct. Uh, you know, I think educationally, you know, I've been able to take so much. Tom Gibbs was here a long time as a superintendent, and I've called him a couple times. I said, Tom, I just had to call you. It scared me to death. I even sounded like you. Uh, but uh, probably the greatest of all, I mean, I had him, I first met him as a student at OU and continue to do a lot of work with him today. Professionally, you know, I have to give Jim Mahoney all the credit in the world. Jim Mahoney has single-handedly led more educational progress in Appalachia than any other human being that I know, and he continues to do that today. And so, you know, I wonder about, you know, where would any of us be, right, in this area if it wasn't for the influence of Jim? And uh, so those are just a few. I, I, I probably um, I probably left some out, but, you know, I, it's uh, – actually, I'm going to speak at the, our superintendent's fall conference, and I have a list of – probably 110 people uh, that will, I know will be sitting there, and I can tell you something I've taken from all of them. I can tell you right now, I learn a lot from folks on social media that I've never met in person. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we act like that's the devil, but it's a great opportunity for growth. Uh, I have to tell you, I, I maintain contact with uh, uh, Matt Dillon and Glenn East in Gulfport and Hattiesburg, Mississippi. Mm-hmm. Uh, just blessed to have a collaboration with people all over the country. So, When you mentioned Jim, um, we, we were all kind of working with Jim on that Strength Finders grant, 
and, and it was incredible. He came in here a few days to talk to kids. And he doesn't know our kids. And, and he just comes walking in like, hey, guys. And, you know, the next thing you know, he's engaged in a conversation with kids that he's never met. And, and it was so much fun to watch. And he leaves, and our kids are like, man, that, that, that old guy was really cool. Like, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, well, Jim. But No, that's true. And, and, you know, I want to go back a little bit, too, because I'd be remiss, and I mentioned it earlier. And when I became principal here, I was the youngest person in the building. And, and I don't know what, what organization you have now, but we had a department head organization, uh, quite frankly, of tremendous people. And, and I have to tell you, as an educational, instructional leader, I probably learned more from the staff here. They, we learned together. Uh, I think they were empowered to be part of the, the solution. Uh, and boy, did I learn a great deal. And you know, the greatest thing I can say about that group, I always felt like they wanted us to be successful. And I think that's really key. So I look back at what we did at Noble as being kind of the blueprint that was developed here, the common denominator were teacher leaders who, who wanted to end up in the right spot for all the right reasons. Well, and many of those same people are yeah. still here and, and you know, getting ready to retire and I so a lot of, a lot of my, what, what I would the pressure point for me right now is to make sure that they're training people, that, that they're training their replacement. That's really effectively what we're all doing. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so I know we were talking about some of the things that, that have gone on here. Um, we've made a push into education, like to replenish our, you know, there's a teacher shortage. Let's call it what it is. And so we've got a class here that it's taught through Washington state. We had some, some opportunities with Marietta college, but the field placement is done here. You know, we're sending them over to the elementary to, tr to try to bring that back in and get some of those teachers around kids that, that think they might want to do it. So it's been right. interesting. Well, I, I'll tell you, uh, that's great because that was actually a topic of discussion at our chorus meeting last week uh, at Noble. We have a teacher Academy and, you know, I know one of our students who's now at Otterbein got credit, uh, you know, almost 18 hours of course credit. He's already got some field experience done. Uh, and then also at East Central Ohio ESC, keep this in mind because you guys could do this from here. We have six different 12-point credentials through pre-apprenticeships that kids can participate in. You do your work-based learning here on site, and one of those uh, pre-apprenticeships is actually teaching and education. Uh, so we're offering that to schools throughout the region and in and, and, for all those reasons, not only do we have a teacher shortage, but that 12-point credential for some might give them that hope and that boost that they need to, to, to get to their next step. Absolutely. Um, and then you also mentioned, as you were, were talking a little bit when you took over, um, Bob Greaser. <laughs> so let me tell you a quick story. After retiring, Bob came to Southern High School, where I was teaching and coaching, as the superintendent. So I would say Bob is probably one of the biggest factors um, in me being an administrator. Matter of fact, he called Tom Gibbs on my behalf when I got hired here. Um, mm -hmm. So I had a chance to talk to Bob. I was actually given an acceptance speech um, for the Baseball Coaches Hall of Fame in the Southeast District and, and thanked Bob. And somehow it got back to him that I had done that, and, and he and I had a conversation. So it was just interesting to hear you talk about him being an influence on you. Yeah, and there's some stories that we could tell, and there's stories that we couldn't. But I actually just spent some time with him in Hilton Head and had dinner uh, not long ago. But, man, what a tremendous person. But, but in case he ever listens to this, I think it's really important that when he returned as superintendent, I think he was coaching football at Southern. And I am coming back from a Warren football game, and I'm listening to his game on radio. And the announcer says, what kid in the world would want to play football for their superintendent? And that is true. Um, he was the superintendent um, football coach. Um, it was, it was, I coached with him. He actually brought me onto the staff. And I'll tell you, you mentioned this. He made some decisions down there that, that maybe weren't particularly popular, but, but in my opinion, headed that district in the right direction. I learned a lot from him coaching even, and I would say he would tell you that coaching football wasn't his strong suit. Southern had been on like a 28-game losing streak. You know, he comes in, wins a few games, gets the, uh, 
the program headed in the right direction to where, you know, they eventually made the playoffs a couple years. And so I learned a lot from him in that respect. Again, I've got some stories too that, that I won't share. Oh, great. Uh, well, you but know, great if, dude. If you think about that, guys, think about all the different names that we've brought up. You know what? I'm guessing – I'm guessing that some were Republicans. I'm guessing some were Democrats. I'm guessing some were independents. Some don't know, right? Some were tall. Some were short. Some we liked more than others. However, can't we learn something from everybody? Mm-hmm. And, you know, why is that so difficult in today's society that if we disagree, then I don't like you at all, and I hope you fail, right? Right? How, what happened to just mutual respect through disagreement? And, and the power that comes with that. Well, I can think about all those folks that we just mentioned. There's probably some that don't like the other, but they all respect one another. And we were all fortunate that we could learn all the good things. And one name that I want to go back and mention, uh, Steve Lyons may be the greatest in, in influence of all. And I still use Steveisms. And everything that we're talking about today is summarized by one. Everything's the way it is because somebody wants it that way. Mm. And our job as administrators is to figure out who and why. Mm-hmm. And I tell you what, what a, what a great source of knowledge there. So that is part one of our conversation with Dan Leffingwell. Um, tune in to our next podcast as we will pick up with our conversation with Dan.